0: Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review Podcast. This is Stephen Moray, President and CEO of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Today I'm delighted to have the opportunity to visit with Dale Nash, CEO and Executive Director of Virginia Space. Virginia Space is the owner and operator of the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport, co-located at the NASA Wilds Flight Facility on Virginia's eastern shore. Dale, great to have you with us today, why don't you give our listeners a bit of perspective and background on Virginia Space. For those who may not be familiar with it, perhaps talk about the mission and history uh, of the organization.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you again. Virginia Space was created back in the mid-1990s, 1995 uh, to be exact. It was started when there was a real concern that uh, NASA may be closing the uh, NASA Wallops flight facility in a uh, move to Consolidate and reduce costs across NASA, and the Wallace Flight Facility is is a national asset and certainly very key to the Eastern Shore of Virginia, as well as uh, Maryland and and Delaware. So Virginia created the Space Authority based on the legislation from the Congress, the uh, Commercial Space Flight Act, and started to look at ways to build and enhance on the $1.2 billion plus that, that the federal government had invested into Wallops. Wallops is a great facility and has launched over 16,000 rockets, but had not launched anything into orbit. From 1995 into the mid-2000s, uh, Virginia helped develop a launch pad to launch solid rocket motors into orbit, a Northrop Grumman minotaur family, and uh, started to launch... In 2006, DOD and government missions into orbit. And in the uh, 2008 2009 timeframe, then Governor Kane, now Senator Kane was very successful in winning the contract with Orbital Sciences, which is now part of Northrop Grumman, to launch cargo resupply missions to the International Space Station on a medium-class launch vehicle, which will put up to 18,000 pounds into orbit. That was a huge jump forward and one that was a big commitment by Virginia. The first launch pad is about a $10 million launch pad and puts about up to 8,500 pounds into orbit. The uh, launch pad for the Northrop Grumman Antares, which can put 18,000 pounds up and resupplies the International Space Station, ended up being about a $120 million investment by the Commonwealth. So we we really came of age there. We like to talk it as public, public, private partnership, public in NASA, federal government, public in Virginia space and the Commonwealth, and private in uh, Northrop Grumman rocket lab and uh, others that that come to launch rockets, process satellites, and fly unmanned vehicles.
0: That's terrific. And, of course, we're excited both about what it means today, but also what it could mean in the future. I believe the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport of Mars is is one of four spaceports in the U.S. that's currently licensed to launch to orbit. seems like a pretty unique position for us to be in. How did we get to that point?
1: Virginia Space, which owns and operates the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport, and goes by Mars. It's funny how that acronym worked out. That was uh, then Governor Warner, now Senator Warner that coined that phrase because we are so integral. With Maryland and Delaware and Virginia, it is one of only four locations licensed to launch into orbit in the United States. Back to what is unique and what advantages do we have, Uh, orbital mechanics are very demanding, and there are only a few places you can launch to orbit from the U.S. without endangering the public and launching over water. So it's Florida, obviously. Vandenberg, California, which is north of of Los Angeles, about an hour and a half. Kodiak Island, Alaska, which has some wide open areas to launch into. Both California and Alaska launch into polar or uh, high inclination orbits, meaning they're going north to south or south to north. And Florida and Virginia launch from west to east. We're on the east coast, but we're launching east east. We're one of four. That's a great asset we have in combination with what NASA has, and we can launch a wide array of launch azimuths out
2: of here.
0: What's the general mix of launches at Mars? I mean, how much of it is commercial versus academic versus government?
2: Well, the mix of launches out of the uh, Mars launch pads are about 50-50 commercial, maybe even a little heavier commercial right now. And that comes from the Northrop Grumman Antares rocket, which is a commercial launch and uh, part of the commercial cargo resupply to the International Space Station. So the Antares is a commercial launch vehicle with NASA as the customer, ultimate customer. Rocket Lab is a commercial launch vehicle with DOD, and NASA as customers, and they are looking at continuing to provide commercial launches for the federal government and hopefully some purely commercial or academic in the future out of here. But the primary reason to develop the launch pad at Wallops in the U.S. was to support the government launches with the commercial launch vehicle. Now, the Minotaur family of launches that Northrop Grumman is also the uh, provider of comes from Minotaur 1s through Minotaur 5s that have launched out of here, and we're hoping Minotaur 6 in the future. Those are all government launches. So out of three families of launch vehicles, two are commercial. One is one family, the Minotaur family is government. But we do support the government as the end customer with a lot of those commercial launches. That's great. What what do you
0: see as kind of their natural advantages that Virginet Space has at Wallops Island?
1: It's a big advantage that we do have schedule capability, especially with the uh, smaller launch providers, because they are really selling the ability to go where you want, when you want, and be very responsive. Also, we have some good cost advantages, too, between ourselves and NASA Wallops. We do feel like we run very cost-competitive operations.
0: At a high level, what's the relationship between Mars and NASA Wallops?
1: We have a Commercial Space Act Agreement. It has been in place since 1995. We are a tenant within Wallops. As you come to our pads, you will go through NASA. You need a NASA badge to get on. As you get to our facilities, our three pads, our payload processing facility in the airfield, you need an additional badge to get into the Mars facilities. We're a tenant within Wallops, but we have long-term leases, and we have been able to build complementary services, not competitive ones. There would not be the orbital launches if we hadn't built the launch pads. We built a brand new payload processing facility to handle national security launches that have to be at that uh, highest level of security and, and very clean and an all-in-one facility. So we are an add-on and an enhancement to this big capability that NASA has to help enable the private sector or even the public sector to come in and, and do additional work. Our airfield has a lot of Navy activity, unmanned systems. It's worked very well for them. And that's terrific.
0: As you kind of think about the future, Dale, what are the opportunities for commercial space to grow in Virginia? And maybe as part of that, you could talk a little bit about Rocket Lab and what it's doing or at least planning to do at POPs.
2: I think the opportunities are excellent for commercial space growth at Wallops, as demonstrated by Rocket Lab that you brought up. That was a very significant win for uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, Mm -hmm. Virginia Space, NASA Wallops. We had tremendous support from the Commonwealth, beginning with Secretary Shannon Valentine, who helped us secure a transportation opportunity fund in record time, And very, very strong support from the governor, who, as you know, comes from the eastern shore and has been a tremendous supporter from his days in the uh, Senate on up. And I I don't want to forget uh, Secretary Ball along with Secretary Lane. That was a key part of securing Rocket Lab at Wallops as well as what we could offer in speed of construction, the expertise with our engineers and hands-on technicians, the flexibility and responsiveness with the range, and Rocket Lab is anticipating a launch cadence of about a dozen launches a year, and we feel like we can go beyond that with the NASA support and our facilities that we're building for Rocket Labs. But we are continuing to talk with other small launch customers, and believe we have the opportunity to add one to three additional ones, and we're in a very time-critical phase in the next few years where we need to get that done.
0: Are there any other examples of commercial space growth at Wallops? Like, what are the opportunities moving forward, and how will that affect future operations, things like planning, investments, and the launch sites?
1: You have the capability for at least a couple of more launch pads. You could also have co-use of an existing pad. For instance, where we launched the Minotaurs, you will have a family of solid rocket motors there, but it may be modified to have a liquid fuel come out of there as well. The payload processing facility can absolutely handle multiple customers, and currently we have two customers in there right now. We have the upper stage for uh a national security launch, and we have the Rocket Lab rocket that was processed in there and is waiting right now until we uh, open back up and start to schedule that launch. So we have capability within the payload processing. We have capability to build additional launch pads and or modify existing ones to get, I believe we could get, again, I'm repeating myself, but get up to 50 orbital launches a year coming out of Wallops. That would be an exciting
0: sight for sure. Have there been any challenges that have come with Mars being located in a rural area? on the eastern shore, and on a related note, how has the facility impacted the local economy there?
1: We commissioned a study by uh, Old Dominion University that showed we have over a $1.3 billion a year impact to the region between NASA, Navy, NOAA, Coast Guard, ourselves, Northrop Grumman, Rocket Lab, the unmanned systems, it is a very big impact to an, a rural area that is challenged and primary agricultural, and we're finding it is not that hard to attract people to the region for space. Space is a magnet. You don't necessarily do it in high population areas. You might manufacture rockets and satellites in high population areas, but Vandenberg's fairly remote. Florida is not nearly as remote, but it was when it started out. and. Wallops is a beautiful area. That whole eastern shore is a beautiful area. You have D.C., which is three hours away. You have Hampton Roads, which is two hours away. Salisbury, Maryland is 45 minutes away in Ocean City. So we're finding that we're able to recruit there better than we thought. And again, space is a magnet. Get some really bright people. And we do have challenges initially getting people to locate there. We worked out with our internship program that we work with the local community college very hard to develop our technician workforce hands-on workforce and uh, as we work with engineers in Virginia and the surrounding states on the interns part of the interview process is would you be willing to locate into a a rural area here, would you be willing to come here later on? It's not a pure litmus test, but if someone says, oh, no, I'm just going to come out here to get this on my resume, but wouldn't consider (laughs) anything other than Northern Virginia, that probably would would not move them to the top of the list. (laughs) People from Virginia Tech, Virginia, and others, if they have grown up in a rural area, especially the Hampton Roads area, seems to have Old Dominion students seem to have no problem relocating to the area. And the community college, we have found some really bright people that live there already. So their family's there, their parents are there, their grandparents are there. It it is not a tough discussion to talk to someone who may be an electrician, a welder, or an IT person with a two-year degree and and very smart to uh, come to work there. It's like living the dream.
0: No, that's terrific. I know you've been really really strategic about that. What about the commercial space supply chain? Have you seen any parts of that either relocated, be closer to Wallops, or is there an opportunity for that perhaps to happen yes. in the future?
1: Yes. As Northrop Grumman came on and the launch rate picked up, more and more of the work migrated to Wallops. So it's not just an Integration is definitely final assembly of the entire rocket. NASA Wallops has a strong history with smaller satellites. So as we have talked, including with your folks, with some people about manufacturing small satellites around, it is definitely in play. Rocket Lab will be building or doing a lot of final assembly on their rockets. Potential customers have expressed an interest to fully or or mostly build the rocket. On the eastern shore. Rockets are things that you like to build it in its final assembly. Closer to the pad, the better. It's one that uh, we think has real potential to grow the supply chain closer to where we launch them. Florida has proven that. A lot of the supply chain, which when I was down there launching space shuttles was in Colorado and California and parts elsewhere, have all begun to relocate there with some of the newer rockets. We hope and expect to have the same thing coming into the Wallops Research Park, and we have built the first building in there for Rocket Lab an integration and control facility where they can process two rockets at a time, have their control center, and uh, process small satellites all in that building is going into the research park. That is a real draw as we talk with other folks. That's 250-some acres that you could add multiple other integration facilities or, or manufacturing facilities to bring the supply chain in. And I have no doubt that it will continue to grow.
0: Expand, if you will, on the, the new payload processing facility at Wallops and how that impacts capabilities on the eastern shore.
1: National security launches are a big part of what we do in the U.S., and there was a definite interest for the smaller satellites looking at Wallops, but the payload processing, which is a good capability that NASA has, is really split between two to three separate buildings and did not have designed into it the national security from the beginning. So. Between myself and uh, Secretary Aubrey Lane, who was uh, Secretary of Transportation at the time, and Governor McCulloch, we all talked about we've got the launch pads, but the satellite is called the payload because it pays for the whole load. We needed a a nice payload processing facility, and, and NASA had looked at building one like this for several years. It just never made it up on the funded list with priorities, that we could attract a lot more launches. And we were successful uh, in getting Governor McAuliffe to give us $20 million toward this and design right from the beginning all the security capabilities into it, all the fueling of the satellite's capability into it, and even processing capability for the uh, smaller rockets in a bay along the side. It ended up being about $31 million. We received some additional DOD funds money and out of our launch fees, built more capabilities into it. But it is a very secure, very clean enabling capability that brings the payload customers here, puts us on their radar, and uh, is a big enabling feature that then sells launches that then brings supply chain in. What an operating room is to a hospital, a payload processing facility is to a spaceport, and we have one of the nicest ones in the world right now and one of the most secure.
0: Dale, talk a little bit about launch day. What's it like
1: from an internal operations side? Do you still get kind of a rush out of it like you used to? Well, It really begins about two weeks in advance. We crank up to uh, 24-hour operations, seven days a week. And a lot of things count down the fueling, the the validation of the systems and everything else. But I was a part of 65 shuttle launches, which was about half the shuttle launches, uh, several launches up in Alaska, 10 or so, and then a similar number down here, maybe more. And with 30 five years and, and uh or more in this business I still get butterflies every single time. As you come down to the count, you you know it it's coming down. Number one, you want to make it through the count. And once it goes, there's not a lot of doubt whether it was a success or failure. And uh it, it is A rush. It absolutely is an adrenaline rush and excitement and and you have to keep track of everything and watch your systems and all. But at some point the rocket takes over internally and it's gonna go or it's gonna shut itself down. Sometimes those last three seconds or so or the first three seconds before it's actually clearing the launch pad seem like an eternity. You get ignition, then you get liftoff. Then you start to fly out, and uh, everyone is excited on the ground. But we continue to watch the whole systems all the way through the payload or the satellite coming successfully, coming free and going into orbit, either headed the International Space Station or a satellite to its orbit. It is nerve-wracking but very exciting, and we certainly like the successful ones. An unsuccessful one can be very exciting too, but all in the wrong direction. We do have a lot of energy, and you do know what can happen. And uh, each successful launch is just uh, an amazing thing to have happen, but it is, it's tough on the, the nervous system at <laughs> times, too. So after 38 years, I still get <coughs> excited.
0: Can you give me a bit of an overview of the opportunities surrounding unmanned flight on the eastern shore? What kind of increase have you seen in traffic on the runway there, and what, what
1: sort of opportunities do you see for the future? We built a dedicated airfield, 3,000 feet long, 75 feet wide, that NASA had the engineering for and the permit for, but again, couldn't get the funding, so Virginia stepped in and and built it out there. And we had thought that it might be able to pick up a little more commercial. It is in NASA-restricted airspace and has some definite uh, concerns that, that you can't just let anybody come in there and fly. But it has become a very strong destination for government UAS tests or those companies like the Northrop's and Lockheed's that built unmanned systems for the government. We are dealing a lot with the the Navy there. We probably have, we had about 38 sorties last year. We've been impacted by COBUS this year, but there's some pretty big deployments. You might have 80 or 90 people supporting a fire scout which is an unmanned helicopter and flying in coordination with manned helicopter systems where they come there, they do their exercises, they can go off the coast and interact with the ships, the Navy ships that are out there. So it has become a go to place for the Navy and the government and a test. The UAS systems, but they're also able to test a lot of their operations, including counter-UAS operations. How do they monitor it? It's not busy every day, but there are some pretty big events that come out there. It is one that is air now, but we're right next to the water, and we have become designated by Secretary Chao, Secretary of Transportation, as part of the marine highway system, and we're looking to build a dock or a wharf out there to test unmanned water systems, surface and and subsurface as well. And that will also provide the capability to bring in rocket components or major uh, ground systems there as well. So we see land, sea, air, and space is all being tested out of there. And uh, mostly government customers However, we wouldn't mind if uh, an Amazon or someone wanted to come out there and you utilize it. So as you continue to work with them, Stephen mentioned uh, we're not that far from headquarters if they want to come down. But it's definitely uh becoming a go-to destination and getting better known within the the military. You know another advantage we have is we're very close to washington d c and there are a lot of companies that do work around uh, Washington, D.C. area, especially unmanned systems. So that's one of our advantages we have here.
0: Dale, I'm curious, what do you like to read about spaceflight outside of work? What's your favorite book related to the topic? It's
1: <laughs> space-related. But books related to Apollo 13, I, I had the good fortune to to get to know Fred Hayes, who was one of the astronauts on that, uh, in my time down in Florida. He ran Grumman's operations at Florida, and I ran Thiokol's operations, so we got to know each other. And it was at the time they made the movie. He was amazed at how true to form they held the movie. Space Barons is a, a book that has talked about Elon Musk Jeff Bezos, Branson and others recently. It's it, things move so fast it's out of date. That was a good read. I have started to read more and more the whole history of, you know, the whole World War II and uh, the technology after that. Von Braun's biography was a good read. But the space industry is moving so fast, it seems like every, every day it's a must read to read Space News or, or Aviation Week or, or whatever else just to keep up with what's changing and going on. We're as active in space right now as far as change and, and things occurring as we were in the 60s.
0: Curious, what's your favorite thing about Virginia in the fall?
1: I love the four seasons around here, and, and I love to get over by the trees and the Blue Ridge Mountains and Shenandoah. I love the spring too, but I love the fall over there in that part of the country. And then when you're driving through and all the red red buds and dogwoods are are going, Virginia's. Beautiful. The eastern shore is absolutely beautiful, too. You don't get the dramatic fall foliage and everything that you do elsewhere. But Virginia is a remarkably beautiful state.
0: Dale, we are so grateful for the work that you do and so grateful for the role of Virginia Space and just the, the whole operation there on the eastern shore. It's one of the, our great, unique economic assets in the Commonwealth of Virginia.
1: We look forward to working with you more. You certainly have your hands full with COVID-19, but as we come back out of it, space has had some impact from COVID-19, but can probably rebound quicker and has potential to grow more coming out of this and uh, could be a real growth area for Virginia for a decade or more to come.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.